our governments, especially at the state level, really like to require licenses for things from starting a business to you know, selling a hearing aid. But do all these licenses actually help the citizens? Welcome to The Conquering Truth. I'm Dan Horn. I'm Jonathan Sides. I'm Charles Churchill. And I'm Joshua Horn. So in a couple months, the way it looks right now, but of course, the government being the government, it could change, it looks like you'll be able to buy a hearing aid over the counter. Now, there was a law passed in 2017 that was bipartisan that said that the FDA had to make it so that you could buy hearing aids over the counter, that they had to to eliminate the, rescri- the requirement to have a prescription from an audiologist in order to get a hearing aid, which in most cases is just an amplification device. So why would the government be so reluctant to do something that honestly seems so, so obvious? Why can't you buy something that amplifies over the Internet or at a store? You know, you ask a question like that about a really specific thing. Why, why would they like licensing your ability to buy hearing aids. And really, I mean, that's a stand-in for why do government agencies like to license any kind of behavior, any kind of professional qualifications, any kind of right to do something, right to drive a car on public roads, et cetera. Why, why do they like to do that? And, and they're interesting questions and sort of why would we even ask those kinds of questions? Why do we think that those kinds of questions are worth a podcast? And, hey, the reason we think they're worth a podcast is because God says to take every thought captive. And if we live in a culture where licensing is just a really common thing, think about the number of activities that you do any given day that you are licensed to do or the kinds of things that you have to hire a licensed person if you want that activity done for you. Does scripture have anything to say about that? We think so. We think we can spend a whole podcast talking about it, and we think it says some really interesting things about the nature of man, the nature of freedom, the nature of politics, and what God thinks about all these things. I would say that even fundamentally, given giving them the benefit of the doubt, which I think in a lot of cases they shouldn't receive the benefit of the doubt. They're doing it just to accrue power. But basically, they have a false view of man and the false view of the world is what drives it. They don't understand what the world's really like. They think if we license things, that that way we will get a standard of quality and nothing will fail. But that never happens. Every time they license it, they license drivers, and drivers still have accidents. They license, you know, neurosurgeons, and they still, you know, accidentally snip somebody's spine or whatever. I mean, there's just... The world's not perfectible, and people aren't perfectible. But if you don't believe in the depravity of man, you always think there's a way to perfect things. You always think there's a solution to the problem so that nothing will go wrong. Instead of recognizing, no, that's the nature of the world. It's also worth pointing out as we talk about this. We did an episode not that long ago on the speed limit. Like, is it wrong to speed? And speeding is a form of, you know, the speed limit is a form of, you know, you're allowed to travel at this speed on the road. It's, it's a... It's, it's not directly a license, but in the right, sense— because it's, it's a regulation, so it's, it's somewhat it's, different. But it's the same sort of thing of they're saying, we're, you know, and you have a driver's license to drive on the road, and then you can only drive at the speeds and all this. And when we talked about the fact that you should obey the government, you should obey speed limits. And so what we're talking about tonight isn't whether you should obey these regulations, whether you should obey these licenses. It's—this is more fundamentally— 
because we have an influence on our government. And even the church, even if we were in a different nation, the church still has an influence on the world. And so there's this part of it going, how should the government be structured? How should, how should we try to shape the world so that the government thinks about, like you said, man's sin and man's depravity and the nature of these things in a way that, that glorifies God and that allows, that allows man the freedom he's supposed to have that puts government in the place it's supposed to be in, that puts people, you know, in the end, how do you structure these things so that God is glorified and so that man can do the things that God has made him to do? Yeah, it's an important caveat because, you know, it's easy for all of us you know, whether talking with one another or whether in all the reform forums, it's easy to just spend all our time complaining about the government when that, while, you know, spoiler alert, that's probably what a lot of the podcast is going to be. <laughs> but but if we're thinking about, you know, what the Bible says about government, about citizens' relationships to government, about God's relationship to government, you know, us complaining about the government is not the most important thing. And, you right. know, it's more, you know, our our number one duty is, you know, to submit to the government in, in the right ways and in the right areas. Um, but we also do have a responsibility as citizens to, you know, to, you know, speak to the government as the church to speak true to the government. And so we're kind of here hitting on uh, perhaps a secondary duty, um, at least in terms of ones that are we're most likely to rebel against. It took years of training and study for us to be able to complain about the government in a God-honoring way. <laughs> and we hope <laughs> to achieve that at some point. In the <laughs> Our goal tonight <laughs> is not to, go, to complain about the government. And I think part of it is is that, like, like we say in all these podcasts, maybe not all of them, but a lot of them, is, hey, as soon as the church said, and there are many churches that say this, right? The, the Puritans believe this. The pilgrims, when they came over, they believe this, that you could not be uh, elder of a church. You couldn't be the. You could be a, a you know, a uh, ruling elder, but you couldn't be a teaching elder of a church unless you had a degree from a university. That's a licensure. Right. We should not go and say how terrible the government is until we recognize the church has added requirements that aren't scriptural, that don't make sense in a lot of ways, that that flip things on its head. They prioritize things that shouldn't be prioritized. It does exactly what the government's doing. So when we complain about it. The church always needs to start looking at its own house because it messes this up all the time. And then it turns around and complains about how the government does it. Well, yeah, let's remember where the government learned to do it. And it's, and it's rather ironic that, you know, the, the Puritans, for example, you know, Puritans who are saying the state should not be controlling the church would require university qualification to be a pastor when the universities were licensed by the king. So right. they're, they're, you know, in their ideal system, they were still requiring the king to give them authority to be elders. And it was like with the pilgrims, it was seven years that they didn't take the Lord's Supper because they didn't have a, a teaching elder. They only had a ruling elder because nobody there had a degree from a seminary. So we just need to recognize this is a lot broader than the government, but the government is the thing that's, I mean, the civil government, but the government is the thing that we all complain about. And part of what we even want to talk about tonight is there's a reason why we always think that the government has to be the one to do these things. Because in the end, there's a part of it where authority, you know, like you said, the church really does have authority. So we should structure things so that the church can abuse authority and so that the family can abuse authority. Right now we have it structured so that primarily the government's the one who can abuse its authority and things are a little bit out of whack. So one of the big reasons why we're told that we need these uh, regulations and licensures um, for so much of our society is that, you know, there's so much danger from, you know, bad actors who are, you know, saying they're a plumber and they're not, they don't know what they're doing and they ruin your house or they say you're a doctor and, 
you know, they they kill you and they're supposedly supposed to be helping you. So, you know, is, is that a legitimate reason to have licensors? And fundamentally, it starts with the idea that you punish everybody for the sake of the one bad actor or the group of bad actors. You know, most of biblical law is when you transgress the law, you get punished, not a commandment to do something. And so when you flip it on its head and stop trying to punish people, because we don't really want to punish people for doing things wrong, what we end up doing is saying we'll punish everybody. So because some doctor did, you know, and with medicine, you can see it more, right? A surgeon that's an incompetent surgeon, instead of the patient having the responsibility to say, why do I trust this doctor? What we do instead is say that the government will put a stamp of approval on him and then we can trust him. Well, no, a lot of doctors that get the stamp of approval you can't trust, but now they've also been covered so they don't have the responsibility for their actions. So what we do is that we end up separating the ability to actually constrain the errors by creating one standard that the government does that everybody just needs to meet, and they don't need to keep meeting it because the standard, or they need to keep meeting it, but the standard isn't such that actually shows they're capable of doing the surgery because they have continuing education. But that continuing education can be in, you know, how do you make sure that your books are good for a doctor's office? They just have these rules so that they can go, oh, you can be sure that your doctor is safe, when it's not true. It tends to be areas that the public really pays attention to tend to be better, right? I mean, like, there are certain areas where, I mean, like, with surgeons or with neurosurgeons or things like that or with certain types of things, there are areas that people pay higher levels of attention to, and they tend to be tighter. But if you look at things like plumbers, you look at things, I mean, like, you go on Facebook, or go ahead. I would even say with doctors, that's not true because they intentionally covered up because that was one of the things in some of the laws that they were doing was to make it so that they started to report people doctors' success rate. Because most people have no idea if you have five doctors, which one's the best? Because the government has successfully covered that information. They really removed the objectivity. Right. right. They removed the objectivity. So even in those places where people are the most concerned, what you can only get is anecdotes. You can't get, well, he treated 100 patients and 50 of them died versus this other guy treated 100 patients with similar things and they all lived. They hide that information. It's like looking at reviews on Amazon. Right. (laughs) You have have no idea. Yeah, where the companies can delete the reviews. (laughs) Unfortunately, that would work well for doctors. (laughs) Right. It's it's kind of what the government does for them. I mean, and and you look at, like you talk about plumbers or license and all these things, but you go on Facebook and you look and people are constantly reporting, I hired this this plumber who was a licensed plumber and the work was hard. I mean, I've hired licensed plumbers that were recommended by really good people who had no idea what they were doing. I've had other people who kind of rolled up with the a best plumber. one has to be the HVAC guy that I had that was a licensed HVAC technician. And he missed the fact that there was a whole unit stolen and worked on the other unit that was working fine. <laughs> so that's the quality that you get with government licensure, right? which is not – the point of it isn't really to improve quality. The point of it really is to, to make the entrance cost higher so fewer people enter. Right, because you know, basically um – Again, giving the government the benefit of the doubt. Right. right. And, and, you know, you look at – like especially North Carolina because North Carolina, you know, is, parti- is actually particularly bad for the number of licensed trades. Like I was on the website today of the licensed trades in North Carolina and you can keep scrolling and sc- – I mean there's hundreds on the list, you know. And you, you take something like, like a barber, you know, how is 
making you go to barber school, keeping you safe? You know, how how much is a bad haircut gonna gonna hurt you? Oh, he uses a straight razor. <laughs> well, see, that's part of it is that. It used to be hepatitis and stuff and other blood-transmitted diseases got transmitted by barbers quite a bit. And so that's when they started the regulation. But barbers don't use a straight edge anymore, so it's it's not necessary anymore. But yet all the regulations change. Well, barbers don't use a straight edge anymore. I mean, that little bit on the neck, maybe. Oh, yeah. I mean, but okay. Well, it depends on the barber. And a lot of it is, you know, if you want to criticize regulation, I mean, you could – at a basic level, you could criticize scope. Like, why are they, you know, if there is an actual safety danger, why don't they prohibit people from using, you know, a straight-edge razor without training and not, you know, the all, you know, the electric razors that everyone uses now, you know? So, you know, at a minimum, it's gone amok, and you have to go to school for all this time, which is, you know, based on some people I've seen who are looking for barbers, it does not stop you from getting a bad haircut because they come back, and they've gone to six different ones, and all of them have given them horrible haircuts. And, I mean, I would just say going to Nigeria where there is no licensing for barbers, the answer is really simple. Everybody has their own straight-edge razor, which is a lot cheaper than a typical haircut. And the reality is if the barber just keeps your razor, you'll never get a blood-transmitted disease because they're only using it on you, and it solves the problem without any licensure at all. There's other solutions, but the easiest solution for the government to leap to is licensing. And a big part of it, too, is um, – you know, going back to what used to be called the guilds is the fact that it requires a license to be all these trades. You know, it used to be that they were perhaps a little more open about the reasons for doing it, which is we want to get paid more. So we're going to get the government to give us an exclusive license to be barbers. So you have to be part of the barber association. You have to be part of the uh, bar association to be a lawyer. You have to be part of the, you know, medical association to be a doctor. And the reason now I'm sure back then did they say it's for safety probably but they were also you know I think it was a little more known that this is also you know about money and and making sure that you know it's hard to get into the trade you have to go through the program you have to be an apprentice you have to do all these things it takes you eight years to get in um, and part of that is to limit the number of people coming in make it hard make it expensive so that there's fewer of us so we can charge more and they're buying the rights from the government because the government's selling that. The government makes money out of it. And we shouldn't think that that's any different today. One of the big reasons for licensures is the money that's involved. But even when we go back, right, this has been a problem for a long time. In our, our country, in the, in the Constitution, it says we're based on the common law. And the common law was when something happens, you figure out what justice is. Where the other side is the Roman law, where the Roman law says, Rome tells you what you're allowed to do, and you're not allowed to do it unless Rome tells you what you're allowed to do. And so, like, for, for trading, you could only trade if you were a Roman citizen. But this was true in a whole range of things with Roman law, is the idea is that Rome got to dictate what anybody was allowed to do. And that isn't the system that the United States and the UK, which is where we got it from, that's not the system that, that you know, our country was founded on. But that's what we've moved to. We've moved to much more of a Roman system where it says the government has the right to everything. And it gives you – it delegates whatever rights it wants to delegate to you. And, I mean, the common law was basically – the common law was designed as if most men were considered to be free. 
you know, the average man was considered to be a free man. And when you when you go back to the United States, the founding of the United States with the Constitution, the Constitution was written in that way as well. It was written that men were considered to be free, that that the states had rights, that the states were giving some of those rights to the government. And this this has been kind of flipped on its head now where the federal government grants rights to the states and then the state, whatever rights are left, the state gives some of those rights to the individual. And you can see this during the coronavirus where, I mean, the idea was, hey, we're going to come in and we're going to shut down all the businesses and, hey, we're going to tell people that they have to stay in their homes. And there were people going, wait a minute, because there was just this, this kind of steady it was just this steady drip, drip, drip as the government kind of took more and more things and said we're in charge of them, where the government goes, well, we've been thinking of you as something that we own for a long time. Did you just, you know, did you just now realize that? And people were kind of going, yeah, we did just kind of realize that. And a lot of them did, still don't realize it. Right. Know, but, right. But some of them or, woke or up, they're comfortable woke up or that it. is that or it's done its job and it's made them comfortable. I mean, in fact, they go, you know what, I like the fact that the government's taking care of all these things. I like the fact that I don't have to worry about having a straight razor. You know, I don't have to have the responsibility to do that. I don't have to, I can just go and I can go to this. And like you said, until it becomes that you go and you go to this place and you end up getting no value for it and you realize that what they're doing actually doesn't protect you in the way that it's presented to you as. And, you know, when you think about this distinction of common law and Roman law, or as it's, you know, sometimes said negative law versus positive law, if you're going to point back to where do we have, where does government from this biblical law get permission to, you know, regulate things, license things, I think you go to the parapet on the roof. So that's Deuteronomy 22, verse 8. When you build a new house, then you shall make a parapet for your roof, that you may not bring guilt of bloodshed on your household if anyone falls from it. What is a parapet? What's a parapet? I'm just asking for in so case like anybody rail, does it. Okay. I mean, I have an actual parapet, but that, that's another story. <laughs> right. <laughs> Most people don't have a tower. But, yeah. but like if you had a flat roof, just having right, just having a railing right. around rail, the top. Yeah. Okay. Railing, railing so people aren't falling off and killing themselves. And even when I was, you know, thinking about this first leading up to the podcast, I kind of forgot in the second half, which is the issue is the guilt of bloodshed on your house if anyone falls from it. Now, we don't hear exactly how that's enforced. But it's if you're going to take, you know, the implication of it is the enforcement is if you don't put a parapet up and someone falls off, now you're guilty of their blood. Not that you need to hire an ins- or you need an inspector is going to come around and not let you move into your house until it has a parapet. But that if someone falls off, you now are responsible. You effectively murdered this person. And how is that different than the way, say, building codes work now? Right, because, I mean, today, you know, there's, well, first of all, they don't there's work, a million. But you mean how they kind of work. <laughs> there, there's a million more restrictions than putting a parapet on, on your roof. So that's, but, that, but setting that aside, you know, the actual parapet, you know, regulation, the, the rule is that you have to have the inspector come and check and make sure that you have everything in order, you're meeting the building code before you're allowed to move in. So versus, you know, you have, you're told you need to have a parapet, but... It's your duty to put it up, and if you don't put it up and someone dies, now, you know, you're going to have serious consequences for that. And there's, you know, even with the building codes, you know, I've had inspectors come out, and the inspectors are like, yeah, there's a whole bunch of building codes that people violate all the time that who cares? There's the ones that I think are important, and those are the ones I'm going to inspect for. And now if you tick them off, then they inspect for all of them. But the reality is it's not like they're actually going, we want you to meet these building codes. I mean, and these are the better inspectors that kind of go, you know what? 
a lot of them are stupid. I'm going to inspect for the ones that actually have safety. But they put all those other ones in there that don't really have anything to do with safety, but they do have to do with tyranny. And they are, and technically, they are part of the code, right? right. I mean, if you read them, there's no, there's no waiting. The code doesn't say, "Hey, these are the dumb ones. You don't have to do right. that." The you're code just, says you're obligated to all of them. Right. And and you know, so dumb ones. Here's an example of a dumb one. When I was building my house, that I failed an inspection for because I believe it's in it's in the plumbing code that you have to have a porta potty on your construction site, which you know, for a lot of construction sites. Should you have a porta potty? Yes, you should have a porta potty. You know, to be kind to your employees. I was building a house right next to where I was living, so there was no reason for me to have a porta potty because I was the one working on it, and I knew because you had a perma potty. Perma potty. So, so it's the type of thing where they make this, they make this rule, and you know, it, it's one that it, you know, it's also it's not preventing death. It's just. And the inspector required you to go get a porta potty. Well, I told him, and he's like, well, "Okay." When and I, I said, "Do he I really need this?" With. And I never. But I didn't he started. But he again. started to do. I mean, he started to call you on it. Well, I failed it, and that yeah, was yeah. I mean, that's what I mean. He wrote up the failure. Joshua just wasn't there, right? But so, then I mean, when he called him and argued with it, the fact that pl- there are plenty of sites that wouldn't need a porta potty because of other reasons. Right. I mean, you know, and so you're actually you're automatically going to write it into the code that they have to have one. Right. And, you know, and uh, when you look at the, the thing, too, because, you know, a lot of the, the rationale for a lot of the regulations, all the licensures is safety, but they go way beyond that. I mean, we've already discussed it, but the building code, there's so many things, and they're constantly updating the building code of new things that all are safety. You know, you need an outlet every so many feet along your wall because, well, you may have an extension cord, blah, blah, blah. The thing is, last year we had outlets, and there was no regulation of that. But now... They were building it's unsafe, and it's so unsafe, you can't even move into the building. It's so unsafe. Right. So until you have the right spacing of outlets, you know, it's too unsafe for you to even be in. Right. There could and literally so- be somebody who can't move into a house and is effectively homeless because they've passed this new regulation. Right, right. And, so, and you know, and it's not like— And they only do this every three years. <laughs> right, right. And it's not like, there, you know, there's now this huge new technology that how we there's no constraint on it. It's— Houses haven't changed that much, you know, since three years ago. But there's a whole list of new things we need to do. I mean, in Wake Forest, if I want to change a light switch, I have to get a permit. If I, you know, if a light switch goes bad and I ha- anything that requires me to turn off the electricity to go and, uh, you know, to unscrew and to unplug and to, I have to get a permit. I literally have to go mm-hmm. ask the government for permission to change a light switch in my house. And so, I mean, you know, I mean, that's the level at which it's gotten to. And there's people going, of course, you should have to do that. And but there should be a lot of people going, no, you shouldn't have to do that. And what about I don't know about Wake Forest, but I know some jurisdictions, they don't inspect. They don't inspect it. So you get the permit, which is for safety. But it actually is just a fee because they're never going to come inspect it if it's as small as changing a light switch. Right. That's definitely where that one falls. And so, I mean, just to go back a little bit, when you look at how God gives the law. You know, in the Ten Commandments, eight of them are about thou shalt not, and two of them are about you shall. I mean, the majority of the commandments are about, you know, they're negative law. They're, you're not allowed to do this. You should be punished if you do this. And then the two, honor your father and mother and keep the Sabbath day, are the only two that are positive commandments, saying this is what you must do. But yet in our law, we probably have far more positive commandments than we have negative commandments, like far more. Like, I mean, the, the stack of regulations for the building code is like that, that thick. Right. When you have a positive law saying you must build a parapet, then, you know, 
the way our regulation would work. I mean, I have a, a roof slope that's 12 over 12. It's a steep roof. But I'd still, if they were regulating this, you know, they'd go, oh, you have to have a parapet around your roof, and they require a railing there. Right. I mean, this is how ridiculous the, the regulations get, is they aren't trying to say what actually solves problems. They're just saying, it's a, you know, you should have a parapet, so you need to have a parapet, whether it's meaningful or not. It's kind of like, you know, I have a building that's the second story. You have to have handicapped bathrooms, even though it stairs up there. Nobody in a wheelchair is going to get up there. Unless somebody carries them. It, and if they carried them up those stairs, they could easily carry them and, you know, help them go to the bathroom. So it's just this ridiculousness, but they just pass the regulations for the sake of the regulation. If the regulations we had in this country were ones that were, you know, simple things that will kill you. Um, and, you know, even if they were enforcing it in a way that we might not think appropriate, well, we, I don't think we'd be making this episode. But the reality is we're so far off from you know, this first, the, the, the regulations and the licensures we have are, are, are way off of this. And so, you know, there's a point where, you know, we, d we don't need to be nitpicking on, you know, everything they're doing, um, the civil magistrates doing, because they are an authority with legitimate authority, but it's at a point where we, we don't, we're not, we're not nitpicking because it's so far off of, so far off of, you know, trying to apply a verse like this. And I would just argue that it really, again, it goes back to the church. The church isn't teaching total, total depravity. It's not teaching what the nature of the world is very well. Because it doesn't teach the nature of the world, governments think that they can solve everything. And as long as the church is teaching that you don't need to worry about or that, that the world is perfectible, that you can get something to, to, to a uh, utopian state, then you're just going to keep getting more regulations. And that's what we should expect in the future of this country unless the church repents and starts to say this is the nature of man and this is the nature of the world. We should also recognize that some of this is because, again, the church has forgotten these things and the church has forgotten it in the home because there's a part of it where the purpose of childhood is to raise someone up to be an adult. And childhood is an act, an act is a, childhood is a situation where you start out with limited freedom and you gain freedom as you move toward adulthood. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. children, I mean, children a lot of times, they're not allowed to play with knives when they're a certain age. And it's not that knives are evil, it's that they're not at a position where they can play with knives. And so there are things where children are not licensed to do very specific things. And we've kind of stopped with the idea of the purpose of childhood is to become an adult. And since the purpose of childhood has ceased to become an adult, there's this part of it, I mean, th this does tie into the fact that the law is given because of transgressions. And so there is this part of it where whenever the, the family stopped doing what it's supposed to do, the government has now, and they've done it in, like you said, a lot of times it's for money, a lot of times it's for other things. But in the end, a lot of times they are trying to say, hey, we've got a bunch of, we've got a bunch of large children who are running around in the world, and what do you do? How do you handle this? And so there is, I mean, these things do tie to real sins that the church has done and real sins that the nation has done that's kind of caused the government to treat them in this way. And, you know, one of the... You know, one of the re reasons why I think it's important to talk about this is because often it's it's us who are begging, you know, us broadly, you know, as the church, um, it's us who are asking for regulation. It's not a tyrannical government, you know, imposing its will on the people and, you know, trying to crush the people under its heel, but it's people begging for it. Our church has a lot of uh, ministry in Nigeria, and... You know, on the last trip when I was over in Nigeria, I was talking to, you know, one of the people that we do stuff with over there. And he was saying, you know, yeah, the U.S. is so great. You know, you have so many rules. People follow the rules. And, you know, we, in Nigeria, you know, if we just had more of these rules, you know, we would 
our society would be more organized and more like the U.S. And, and you know, I was trying to trying to tell him that the, the issue with Nigeria isn't that you don't have enough rules because it is a you know it's a lawless society. You know, buildings are collapsing, people are dying, people are getting hit in traffic accidents because people aren't obeying the law. But the issue isn't that they don't have enough laws. Because they have a lot of laws. They have a building code. They have all these, they have, they might have more regulation than the United States. I mean, they have a tremendous amount of regulation. There's, they, have, they have all these regulations. Um, but the issue is the people are lawless and the people aren't keeping them. So the people are begging for law when the laws they have are not being enforced. And more laws will do nothing to help them. And, you know, when you look at the difference between common law and Roman law, it still comes back to the same thing. If you're not going to punish the people that transgress the law, then you're not going to constrain evil. The thing is, is that when you say that you need a, a license for a handgun, the people, you're going to get a lot more people that will submit to that law or that you can punish easily for the transgression because they're not going to murder you too. But if you have the guy who has a gun and went out and shot somebody, it's a lot more dangerous to arrest him. And so there is some real, you know, there's the Roman law becomes easier for the government to enforce because it's enforcing it against people that aren't as lawless as when you are dealing with the common law, if that makes sense, because those are the dangerous people. But those are the ones that you actually want to stop. And so what you end up doing is punishing those who who aren't going to be a problem, right? The person who buys a gun for their own defense and the government says they can't have one, they're not going to be a problem. But what the guy who's getting it to murder somebody, he's going to be a problem, and that's not who's going to stop when you do the licensure. Right. So they don't actually increase the safety. It just has a veneer of increasing the safety. Right, and that's a, a good example where you have a large segment of America begging for regulation, begging for more law, when the law... You know, I think probably most of the listeners of the podcast will realize that the laws are not going to stop people from hurting each other. That's a problem that's much further down uh, in the homes and the churches that that needs to be fixed. And the government does not have the power to stop that, no matter how many laws they put in place. I mean, to an extent, you're right until, you know, the, and the, the way that the argument is sort of steamrolling is at some point, everybody's just got to admit that all of these gun control regulations we have are in and of themselves inadequate. The only way we can solve this problem is confiscation. Um, and, you know, you, you enable confiscation by licensing everybody in the first place so you know where they are. Um, and, and it's been done before. So now, to your point, that's actually not going to do anything to stop the real problem, which is the depraved heart of man. And you You'll just it. have lots of people getting killed by the government. Right. I mean, you're talking right. Nazi Germany. Nazi Germany, it ended up with you know, a lot more deaths than were ever caused by murders. Or, or you know, the, the Philistine nation right next door to Israel where they came in, they were oppressing the Israelites, and one of the things that they did was they made sure that there were no blacksmiths in the land so that you, you could not have anybody making weapons if you needed to sharpen your, your – farm implements, you had to go to a Philistine blacksmith. They were the only ones licensed to be blacksmiths, if you will. Um, and it was very clearly a form of oppression. Uh, you know, I think when you're looking at the oppression and licensure and regulation, you know, I think it, it's something that's easy, easy to kind of discount, especially because, you know, our society is so, you know, so rich 
that we kind of have the slop to do these things. So we can put these, you know, really onerous things in place to do, you know, simple trades. You know, you can put years in tr of training requirements in. But we're kind the society, you know, there's enough wealth, there's enough, uh, you know, credit available that kind of eats up the slack. And, you know, there's still tradesmen out there to do your jobs that you need done. But, you know, other places, and with that might not be true, and certain people in the country that might not be true for. I mean, the recent, um, the recent shortage of uh, baby formula was basically because of licensure. I mean, you know, the government had said there's, we're going to have just these couple of factories that can make baby formula. We're only going to allow them to do it. One of the factories gets shut down, again, I think because of a specific because regulation. Government. And then you have a shortage of some things go on, some problems, and all of a sudden they can't do it. And, then and, and there's this idea that people have of, well, just spin up another factory. And it's like it takes time. It takes effort. You have to retool other things. And why should they retool if as soon as they retool, the government's going to tell them they can't do it again? You know what I mean? And well, so, and, so and even with the baby formula thing, right, the regulations are such that even though it's manufactured the same way in another country, right. the label on it didn't have the nutritional ingredients in English, and it was illegal to put a stamp on with the English ingredients. Instead, the label on the container had to have it on. So that's the only reason it couldn't be sold here. And, can, and, and so then they did an emergency regulation that said that you could put a sticker on it instead. And you know why? That's what an it all was. An emergency license. And, right, an emergency license. And, and why would that law make any sense other than the fact that American baby formula manufacturers, they would rather not have foreign competition, and so they at least have to put their own stickers on it. Or they, they, at least they can't put stickers on it. But, I mean, in, like one thing that it really affects the society when you do this is people stop thinking that they should understand things that they should write the reality is is that what they do is instead of you know with those those regulation about you have to list the nutritional ingredients well the people don't even look at them anyway it doesn't matter how many people look at the nutritional oh, ingredients we, on, oh they look at them to find uh, out just to say does this say a chemical name on the back because this is Poison. I mean, during the during the baby formula crisis, there was a whole you know on on Twitter for a couple of weeks saying, "Have you guys read what's in baby formula? It's basically ground up Doritos." <laughs> and it's like, no, it's. I mean, you know, it has all these seed oils in it and seed fat. That's basically poison. It's like, no, it's not. I mean, and it's I think, basically I mean, food, right? I mean, it's like it's like Joshua said. I mean, we had these outlets here for years, and now all of a sudden, those outlets will kill you. Oh, you're going to drink milk? You can't drink milk i mean and so there's this part of it where yeah i mean it just it's it destroys wisdom it, it takes and that's i mean i probably jumped the gun in talking about children growing up is in the end you have a nation full of children because what a child can't do is a child can't think through things on his own a child can be you know you, you want a candy bar or do you want you know do you want meat you know and the kids candy bar candy bar because the child doesn't have the sense which one he should choose well the government basically says hey it's a nation full of children you couldn't figure out what's good for you so we're going to tell you what's good for you and when you start talking like that i mean that that's a really interesting analysis because you could say okay in a sense if you do have a whole bunch of children then yeah, it would be good if they were well-ordered, and if the only way to order to them is tyranny, well, that's better than anarchy. Right. But so, so, so there's a way you could say, okay, yeah, the government is doing what it ought to be doing, but not really. Because they still let the children vote. 
You know what I mean? Because in the end, there's, there's this Well, and the problem is, is that the, the elected officials aren't that much different from children. Look at how right. our last couple presidents have acted. They're not that much different. And the problem is, is that you can't think that you can dumb down the society and not dumb down the elites because the elites are getting dumbed down with the rest of the society. So I think a lot of people would wonder, you know, how the world even function. You know, we're so used to having all these trades be licensed. We're used to going to a doctor that has, you know, a license from the government. We're used to going to an accountant that has a license from the government. And how would the world even work? You know, how would you know? You know, how would you know not to, you know, pick somebody from the mental institution to do brain surgery on you? Which that might, that, maybe that's a bad example, but, you know. <laughs> because but, even with licensure, that's <laughs> happened. But that's another story. But, but, you know, there are, there are even examples out here of, you know, those small segments of the economic system where the government hasn't gotten its fingers into um, where, where things actually do work out like that. And I think an interesting example is, is uh, scuba diving. So scuba diving is a, you know, you know area of life that, that doesn't have, really have uh, much government regulation. But it's one where people are really concerned about not dying. Because you're going under the water, and if your equipment fails, if you're going with somebody who doesn't know what they're doing, you could die, you know, within a couple minutes. There's a lot of regulations, scuba diving. No, yeah, but the regulation is uh, it's private. So, like, the scuba associations are private, where it's in the industry. Um, people came together and, you know, and I mean, there are companies and not ever, and I think there's multiple of them competing, you know, standards. Um, but, but, you know, there is a lot of certification. So, you know, there's no law stopping you from going and, you know, making, I believe you can buy a tank, but you, you know, there's no law stopping you from, you know, getting a tank, um, and going scuba diving, but you need, if you don't have certification, they're not going to fill your tank with air. They're not going to take you out on a boat to go scuba diving. Because they don't want to be the people who took out the guy who died. And, you know, they also don't want to get sued for doing that. So even though the government hasn't stepped in to say, you cannot go scuba diving unless you're certified, the reality is it's really hard to go scuba diving without getting training and getting certified. You know, the underwriter's lab is the one that I think is a good example. Because so what happened is when electricity first came out, that there were a lot of electrical fires that burned down houses. And the right person or the right group that was taking the liability is the insurance companies, right? They were having to pay out because these houses were burning down. So they, you know, basically got together, the underwriters associations in different cities, and they created the underwriter lab, which they would actually test like outlets and other things to say that these things are safe. And, you know, you still have the UL seal. This is from like 1894 or something like that, that this was done. Oh, wow. Like way before the government was involved in any of the regulation. And through that, the number of house fires from electricity dropped dramatically. And it required no government intervention. It just became, if you want to not use UL, you know, underwriter labs certified things, then that's fine. Just no insurance company will insure you. And if you were, to, and if you had an underwriter's lab seal, and you didn't follow the the, you didn't do what you were supposed to do, you would sign an agreement, and I think you're you had pretty severe, you had pretty severe financial penalties. Like the underwriter's lab would sue you, right? I mean, as like a manufacturer of, of the equipment. You mean if you sent something in and committed fraud, basically, right. and said certify this, and then you manufactured something different, that would be fraud, which would be 
a different government. I mean, that's that's a legitimate punishment to punish somebody for fraud. And the government's very good. At, I mean, this is one of the things that government is very good at. God designed them to swing the sword. He designed. I mean, government is good at punishing people. This is this is one of the but, things. But I will say this: a lot of the reason that you get so much licensure is because the government doesn't want to punish people. Right. Right. Because if they punish people, that is the means. Right. The the way to get people to use safe electrical outlets is you say, well, then if your house burns down, it's on you. And then they go, well, I want I want to pay for insurance so that I distribute the risk because maybe my house will get hit by lightning. And so the person's making the decision. When you start to have the government make the decision, the government's going to make a blanket decision that doesn't make sense for everybody. A lot of times, right, the right thing to do is if somebody, you know, an electrician miswired a house so that the house burned down and the family was killed. Well, what does the Bible say? The Bible would put that pretty much in the same thing with the parapet. If the guy was negligent, committed murder, he should be put to death. The government doesn't want to do that. You do that for a couple of electricians, and are the electricians, the people wiring houses, not like a certified electrician, but are they going to be a lot more careful? Right. I'll yes, do. it's going to work. I mean, and, But and we, we can't even think that way because we're thinking, no, there has to be a license. And when you go back to the housing code, which we were talking about before, almost everything to do with the housing code is economic in nature. I mean, you know, I mean, as far as what like if it's safety, what you're talking about is you want to make sure that your house isn't going to burn down and cause somebody else's house to burn down, that your house isn't going to collapse and kill someone so that if someone buys, you know, what I mean, there are certain things. And the thing is, is insurance companies are very well equipped to to rate that sort of risk. And so right. there's a part of it where the underwriters lab would apply that same model would apply very nicely and neatly to housing codes. And it would be very in, in a real sense. This was like the first impetus towards a housing right. code the most of the but housing I mean, it could codes completely come much later everything that's being done with it and it would do it in a way that there because once you get to government there starts to be the government doesn't actually have knowledge of how you should build things it doesn't have knowledge of what and and it's political and you get people in there who have power and want to use their power in wrong ways whereas all the insurance company wanted to wants to do is say this needs to this needs to be able to cover this amount of money we're willing to say for this amount of money, this is this is what's required, and that's a really nice, neat contract, and it aligns it aligns everyone's interests. Whereas with the government, it doesn't align interests at all because the government is supposed to do something very different. And I mean, and that's what it comes down to, right? Is one of the things that's good about the capitalist system. I mean, the point of capitalism is that everybody that's for a company, their interests are supposed to be aligned towards profit. And so everybody can be measured the same way. Whether And so that insurance company goes, well, if we have to pay out a lot more because houses are burning down, we're not going to insure those houses. or But we can't like eliminate insurance houses or we have no business. So what we need to do is come up with a way to evaluate risk, like you said, so that we maximize our profit. When you get the government doing it, there's all kinds of other interests. There's interests about how many votes you'll get. There's interests about the power people accrue that are working in government. There's just the... The ability to, you know, hassle somebody to the point where their life is miserable just for a power play. Right. I mean, there's all these different things that different people in government are doing for different reasons. And you don't have a system as clear as it should be, which is, you know, how do you actually evaluate the risk? Or you believe that you can eliminate all risk, which is naive. And that's right. rejection of the, the nature of the world. Right. Eliminating all risk costs more than, than, than the amount of money that exists. Yeah. And I mean, I would say that that's sort of the the pure yet extreme case. I mean, maybe 
maybe some regulation starts out that way, but in practice, all of them devolve into some kind of bureaucracy at some point where it's just, uh, we have power here, we're going to maintain this power here, we're going to maintain the high cost of entry into this particular field, this particular trade. Right, it's the barbers. Maybe there was a reason because people were getting, you know, blood-borne diseases crossed between people, so maybe that's not a good solution for it, but maybe somebody said that we're actually trying to stop something that's reasonable. But now, you know, 50, 60, 70 years later, the regulations don't make any sense, but they're still there, and they won't go away. That's why the thing about the hearing aids is pretty shocking, but that took like, you know, that took five years after a law was signed (laughs) to actually cause it to happen. And I mean, and this is kind of the point that, that, you know, Samuel, through God, was warning about when, when Israel wanted a king, is this is what will always happen. You know, 1 Samuel 8, 11 through 13, then he, and he said, This will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for his own chariots to be his horsemen, and some will run before his chariots. He will appoint captains over his thousands and captains over his fifties. He will set some to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and some to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks, and bakers. It goes on and just talks about how much stuff he'll take. This is, you give people power, like you were saying. You give that bureaucracy power. And it's just going to increase. You think that you're doing it because maybe that's the safest way to have barbers. You know, you regulate barbers, and that way you won't have blood-borne diseases. But it's never going to stop there. Then you're going to have, you know, licenses to be putting cosmetics on women, which is there's licenses for that too. And it just becomes, I mean, it will just always grow. That's the nature of the nature of delegating power like that, where instead of taking responsibility that you're supposed to take, when you give it to the government, you can expect it to just keep growing. So, I mean, one of the things I said before is that common law versus Roman law kind of treats, it kind of treats, common law said that there was an assumption that the citizens were free. And there's this part of it where, and I said even with children, there's a part of it where childhood, growing up from childhood, is this view that children have limited rights and then they gain rights as they grow older. There's another form of this. I mean, the opposite of being a, being free is being a slave. And a slave is someone who has to ask, they have, they've basically had almost all of their rights taken away from them, and they have to ask for permission to do everything. I mean, in our culture, the, where in the American culture, where people are most commonly viewed as slaves, though they're not called that, are prisoners. When you look, you go into a prison system, you have to have permission to go to the bathroom. You have permission of when you're allowed to eat. You have, you're told when you're allowed to go to bed, when you're allowed to go outside, when you can make phone calls. Every single one of those things is licensed. A prisoner is a is functionally a slave, even though we don't want to call them slaves, and even though we try to move away from the idea of that their labor is owned, and we try to we try to create this facade. A, 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 a prisoner is a slave, and this is fundamentally what licensure. The attitude of everything must be licensed. This is it views and treats people as slaves. And when you start to ask permission, it means a couple things, right? Because it's not just that simple. When, it, when you start to ask permission, what you think, therefore, is that the government has decreed that you're actually qualified to receive the permission, but that's not what usually happens. All that really happens is the government now has the power to do it. Not that it's also giving the stamp of approval, because it won't be liable if, if you, know, you have that person that they certify as a good plumber and, and your pipes leak and your septic backs up and you all get sick from that, the government's not going to do anything for that. Right. Your house burns down because they inspected it and didn't find anything wrong with it. They don't pay for your house because they missed an inspection. 
And even though you're getting permission from them, you think that permission means something, but the permission doesn't really mean anything. It doesn't mean that they're accepting any responsibility at all. Well, in fact, there's this joke, you know, it's easier to get forgiveness, you know, to ask forgiveness than to get permission. But and you talked about how the government doesn't like to punish. What the government loves to punish for is for people who don't ask permission. Right, because those aren't the ones that threaten them with guns in a real sense. Right. And so if you, if you, if once the government is recognized as having this authority and you don't ask permission, you will be punished. And because in the end, now you are threatening their authority. It's been established that they have this authority over you. And how dare you question that they have this authority over you? And so there is this seeding of authority. And I mean, and this is the nature of sin, right? I mean, Adam is created. He's created a prince over the world. And he goes and he sins and he gives up that, he gives up that position. He actually, you know, he surrenders this this position and he becomes a slave and so there is this part of it where there is this picture of this is what sin causes us to do it causes us to give up the authority we have and again this whole thing of being children and not being adults again that's that's a sinful desire is i want to be ignorant i don't want to be capable i don't want to be competent but that costs something and there's a real transfer and so in the end you give up your authority but in doing so you become someone who must ask permission there is some safety increases, like for building codes, but a lot of that has to do with we shouldn't think we immediately go and think that's because of building codes. Instead of the reality is, if you can afford better, you know, materials and stuff, the buildings are better and they would become safer anyway. It's like in cars. The would they have added airbags without the regulations? Yes, maybe not the same airbags, but over time they would because people would say we have the the means to afford them, and we'd rather have the safer car. And then the market would actually take care of it. But instead, the government comes in and says, we're going to force you to do it, which means that there's no reduction in price. Because as soon as you say every car manufacturer needs to do it, you've just said that every car has to jump that much in price. And so there's no no desire for them to reduce the price. And you never get any innovation because now they say you have to have a an airbag that's just like this, and so everybody uses that airbag, even though there might be something that would work better, nobody's going to switch to it because they can't because of regulation. And so as soon as you get the government involved, you lock things in place, and not necessarily where they should be. Right. I mean, an argument could be made that, you know, the government government regulation and licensure is, you know, you, is not helping with safety and is not helping with quality and it's just reflecting what the standard is in the uh you know in the market um now i don't know if that works in every particular but it seemed you know in a large way you know the regulation just has to implement what people are already doing i mean an argument like that would seem to indicate that the government actually doesn't believe in a free market that the market could regulate itself It'd be more, it, you're basically saying, hey, the market looks like it's doing okay, but just to make sure, we're going to come in and we're going to say, well, you know, there ought to be a law. And Out since, of an abundance of Since caution. we can make it, let's do it. And yeah, I think a lot of the laws end up being that way. Once they establish it, but then once they take that authority, then they expand it even, you know, and they expand it in foolish ways rather than wise ways. And it does really go against what, you know, I think Charles said before that, you know, governments are to swing the sword. You know, First Peter two thirteen and 14, it says, Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the gov- king is supreme or to the governors or to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. Instead, what we're saying is that 
or what the government is doing now is trying to push people to do what they define to be good rather than saying, you know, hey, like, you know, the example of the underwriter's lab that they have fewer houses burned down. It's good for the government to say, hey, these people, their houses burned down less. That's a lot different than doing regulations that say you have to do it this way. Because as soon as the government does that, the sword is not a good way to improve quality. It's just that's not what it's for. That's not why God created the Avenger of Wrath. He's very bad at it. And we can't separate this from money either because money is a huge part of it. I was looking at the statistics for the revenue of North Carolina. And just for business licensing, you know, I think in 2021 it made it the North Carolina government, which has a budget of about $56 billion, $882 million of it was from businesses paying franchise fees to be licensed so that they could operate as a business. So, yeah, that's only 2% of the budget, but it's $882 million that, you know, not that big of a state. You know, we're definitely not North Carolina or we're definitely not New York or California or Texas or Florida. But, you know, $882 million just to pay for the right to do business. Right. And, and the reality is that it, it, it oppresses the poor. You know, you, you can Google and uh, I did today and a couple of days ago, there was a story. You see these stories all the time where the government comes in and shuts down a kid doing a lemonade stand, you know, because they don't have the right permit to do the lemonade stand, which, you know, I, people, I think kind of the reason why the story comes up every few months is because people recognize the absurdity of it. You know, the kid's not hurting anyone by doing the lemonade stand. But, but he didn't do it in a commercial well, yeah. kitchen, Joshua. They're all going to die because of that. Yeah, but we all know that that's not true. And the lemonade stand's safe. And if you don't want a kid made lemonade, don't buy it. Until a kid poisons a thousand people with limeade. And then <laughs> and then they'll be begging for the government. But, you know, but you know, it goes a lot further than that where, you know, uh, I remember we visited someone once in Tennessee and they were building a house and the house was half done and they were living in the house. And, you know, they a lot of stuff wasn't working. You know, the upstairs wasn't done, but they were living in it. And, you know, that saved them thousands and thousands of dollars because, it, you know, in Tennessee where they were, there were no building codes. In North Carolina, you couldn't do that. You couldn't live in a house that's half done. If you're a poor person that wants a house, it, it, it might not be possible for you to do it if you live in North Carolina when in Tennessee you could do it. And they can never measure the cost. That's part of the regulations, right? You can't, the government can't say by passing this, this is what it's going to cost people because people make different decisions. And so they do a very superficial measurement of the cost and say, oh, this regulation doesn't cost much. But like you said, it, a family that could have built a house now can't build a house and has to rent an apartment for the rest of their life and they can't build up any, any capital in their, in their family because they can't do it. And that's a huge cost that the government never can calculate out because it's it's not knowable. We've talked about that before with income tax and with how that you know there's there used to be if you wanted to go and say I'm gonna I'll come and I'll live at your house with you and I'll do work for you and you just you give me room and board and I'll do this and I'll do this work for you. You could do that and you basically had very little cost, but now you don't even have the freedom to do that. You don't even have the freedom to trade your services and your work for this way because the government says you're not allowed to do that way. You have to treat it as if they paid you wages and then they're saying, I mean, I mean, they they have just they've literally made it so that you cannot have certain types of life in a certain way and you can't structure your life or try to even pursue wealth you know, property, pursuit of happiness in very specific ways. I mean, some of these things actually go against foundational principles of what the country was designed to allow you to do. 
And, and, you know, another example of, you know, where it just ends up really costing and oppressing people is, uh, you know, to go back to Nigeria. So we we have this uh, prosthetic clinic that, uh, you know, the church helped found. Um, And recently the Nigerian government put in laws saying, what is it? You have to have a bachelor's degree in prosthetics to be a prosthetist. Yeah. And so, you know, we have a half dozen prosthetists who have been trained by, you know, a great prosthetist from America who's even on the, you know, on the board of, you know, his state's, you know, pros- prosthetics, whatever, whatever the, whatever the thing is. Whatever you know? the board is called. Yeah. And, and so <laughs> Insert official title in editing. Right, yeah. <laughs> I think it's the prosthetic and orthotics board. Right. So, so, you know, and these people at these, this clinic, they know how to build prosthetics. They've built many, many, many prosthetics. And... You know, the people coming out of the colleges in Nigeria, they don't know how to make prosthetics. They, they, you know, they, they are not making prosthetics. So, you know, all the people that actually know how to make prosthetics are going to be shut down because they don't have license. They don't have the right degrees from the government because of these laws they put in to raise the standards of prosthetics. They're basically going to mean that no one has a prosthetic who, who can't afford to travel in and get one from the U.S., or to have somebody from the U.S. go over there, or Europe go over there, or Pakistan go over there, India go over there, which is where all their prosthetists are from. They've basically used regulation to destroy the Nigerian prosthetic industry is what they're trying to do. And the people passing the laws, they're not even necessarily doing that. They're just hearing, oh, this is the way, this is the, way the first world does it, so let's run and do it. But they don't, they don't calculate the cost, and the cost is enormous. But yet, you know, we've made 500 prosthetics. Um, there's another guy that's in, you know, another Nigerian that makes prosthetics, and he just has a degree in physical therapy, so they're shutting him down, even though he was trained in Germany by the leading uh, prosthetic manufacturer, components manufacturer. He was trained by them. He has the best equipment, but they're shutting him down because he doesn't have a degree from, you know, in prosthetics and orthotics, which... You know, 30 years ago, nobody had degrees in it. But yet we create these arbitrary restrictions with the idea of improving quality, and there's no connection between improving quality and having the regulations. Let's go back to something Jonathan said at the very beginning of the episode, where he said a lot of this has to do with taking thoughts captive. And you have to do this because if you hear this – this is what you would hear. Nigeria is taking efforts to, to raise the standard of its prosthetics industry. If you hear that phrase, there is nothing in that phrase that jumps out and makes you say this is not a good thing. There, all the words are good words. All you know, I mean, the idea, and even even potentially the intention of the person who's doing it. But in the end, there's this part of it where you have to actually go. You have to understand something. You have to you have you have to have a worldview to even be able to think about the fact that fundamentally, potentially coming in and raising a standard in an area where the standard doesn't need to be raised isn't a good thing. And, and not, they're not even raising the standard. They're raising the requirements of the standard. Right. And they're ra- really they're making it arbitrary because we'd have no problem if they said that the standard is you have to pass this test and have skill. Not that it's a good thing to be done there. But the, the registrar that's responsible for enforcing this was talking to a guy that works for us, you know, a couple days ago or yesterday. And, I mean, she goes, look, we have to do this. Somebody paid 1.2 million naira, which is about $2,800 or something, for a prosthetic, and it didn't work. And the answer is charge them with fraud. 
Why do you need licensure for that? That doesn't solve the problem. That's what I was saying. They don't right. want to punish them. They committed fraud. Charge them with fraud. They don't know how to make a prosthetic, and they sold one. Right. And you use the biblical law. Make them pay back four times. They stole money. Make them pay back two times, whichever one applies. And guess what? The people would stop doing this. All the government needs to do is be just according to the Bible, and the problem would be solved. But they don't want to be just according to the Bible. Instead, what they want to do is punish the people that are trying to do good. You've, you've said things like that a couple times where effectively what the government's doing is they're punishing the many instead of the few. And this is a really good case that I think exemplifies specifically that. Instead of punishing the few individuals who are creating faulty components and then not making it right like a good business person would do, you know, yeah, you can make mistakes, but if you fix it, then not a problem. But instead of doing that, what they're doing is they're effectively making it so that there will not be a single native Nigerian in the entire country who can manufacture and fit an amputee with a prosthesis. And so so you realize you're punishing people who could be setting up businesses. You know, that's one of the right. things we're trying to do uh, with the, this kind of missionary work is is help them learn how to hey there there's there's christian ways to run a business there's christian ethics that should apply but all of a sudden hey now you can't run this industry because somebody thinks you need to be like america so right. all those people are now shut down well then the consequence of that is that the only way that you're going to get a prosthesis if you need one is if a foreigner who has the appropriate qualifications comes in. Well, guess what? A foreigner is going to be a whole lot more expensive than any native Nigerian. Their cost of their labor is going to be, you know, factors of 10 higher than right. that, which means that effectively thousands of people will not be able to afford these prostheses. So you're punishing not just only the business people, but all of their consumers just so you can be like the West. A little bit I mean it it makes absolutely no sense if you stop and you think about it and, and say do we really need this and the West is already bearing better? the cost of it I mean the, the West is already and like I mean I think Joshua said it earlier is part of it is is we're so wealthy we think we can bear the unlimited cost of raising the standard but that's not going to last forever I mean, it was like the same with COVID, right? I mean, we could do shutdowns, but then we forced these other countries to do shutdowns where people died. Right. Not like questionable. People died. Because there's a lot of places in the world where somebody can't not work for a week and expect to survive. Just because we're so wealthy, we can shut down for nine months, and it's not that big of a deal. But it is for a lot of other places in the world. And we just are so cruel and so thoughtless that our government forces people to do this. And they think they're doing it out of safety. They're killing people. And we do this repeatedly because it, it – and it has to do with the arrogance that we think this system works when it clearly doesn't work in the United States either. And, you know, even the shutdown itself in the U.S. is an oppression. You know, a, a fraction of it is an oppression because of regulation like this because at least in North Carolina, you can't just open a hospital. You need to get – uh, a certificate of need for a hospital for a certain number of beds from a group that I believe is composed of representatives from the existing hospitals. Yeah, from the surrounding hospitals, you have to give a appro- right. get so, approval so, to build a new hospital. So we get locked down because the hospital beds are going to fill up when the government regulation stops you from building new hospital beds. 
And then we complain about how expensive healthcare is because we've effectively eliminated I all never, competition. I never read that news story. <laughs> that, you know, all, the th- all those months of COVID, nobody ever said that. So, I mean, so Jonathan was kind of mentioning it, and we do, we, this has come up a number of times. There's this idea of, you can see it with, you can see it with gun regulation. Someone goes and shoots somewhere, and they say, we have to pass stricter gun ro- laws on everyone. You can see it with all these other regulations. You know, there's, someone was a bad actor, so we have to tightly regulate the entire industry. Why is it, and what is it that causes us to run to that line of thinking? What is it that, that has entrenched that line of thinking in our society? Because we're socialists. And socialism comes from Marxism. And the idea of Marxism is individuals aren't responsible for their own actions. It's the society, socialism, that is what is responsible for their actions. So if you have somebody, for instance, even he would even go as far, I think he wrote on, on punishment, and I believe it was in an editorial in the New York Times, that he wrote that basically if somebody murders somebody that they're attacking the the bourgeoisie because they've been oppressed by it so we need to fix the oppressor so that nobody will murder anybody and so that's the basic idea is you punish the society because if there's a bad actor he was forced into it by the society so you regulate the society rather than dealing with the individual and i think it's important to really push on that because there's a part of it where i think a lot of people have they recognize it in the gun laws because there have been people who've really pushed on the gun laws, but they don't recognize the fact that this thought exists everywhere. That right. this, that, that the, and, and you look at it and people, people really believe this because you look at, they even argue it this way. Like you said, if somebody attacks someone, well, what caused him to do that? What was, what is it in the world that made that happen? So we need to change our society so that that person will never get produced. And I think in the beginning you said fundamentally there's a misunderstanding of the depravity of man, and Marxism is a fundamental misunderstanding, an intentional misunderstanding and misdirection about the depravity of man. And so, I mean, I, and I think, you know, so my pet peeve, my whipping horse or whatever, you know, is, is the idea of strongholds. And I do think, in a sense, Marxism has become, there is an absolute stronghold in the United States in the sense that there is this, there is this thought process that we immediately go to as a culture, and it is so entrenched. This is part of the reason why we have licensure everywhere, is because that has become the de facto way of thinking. It's, it's why we have prisons the way we do. It's why we have licenses the way we do. It's why we have all these different things. That It's why the coronavirus was approached in the way it was, is because we have this Marxist attitude, which is a fundamental rejection of, the, of, of man's depravity. The, the Marxist attitude is the idea that the people are basically – he didn't say this. He basically said that the people have to become owned by the state until everything gets fixed, and then the state will go away, which was kind of the communist when Jesus view. Comes back. Well, he didn't have that part of <laughs> no, that. I mean, no, I mean, just but, but so, so you have to see that we're going on a pattern that we're becoming much more and more slaves, and this is one aspect of it. You know, in feudal Europe, the average um, serf, you know, somebody that, that, uh, had land that he was farming the land he would give back a third of his crops to the feudal lord a slave basically 50 percent of what he earned went back to the feudal lord because it took about 50 percent for upkeep of the slave we're at like 43 percent right now we're far worse than any serfs and we're not quite as 
the same level as slavery, but that's the direction that our country has been going since at least World War II and even earlier, right, when Wilson tried with the income tax, is that shift to make us all slaves. We have the futile system. <laughs> the futile system was, well, but... Futile. <laughs> but you, but, I mean, in... We need to recognize that this is what's happening, that people believe that if you have the elites control everything and direct everything and license everything and tell everybody what to do, that everybody will be doing the communist thing, that each according to his needs and each according to his abilities. And this is a way to get us there. And so we've been pushing in this direction for a long time, and it's incredibly expensive, like unbelievably expensive. Like the hearing aid example that I used at the beginning, the average hearing aid is between a thousand and seven thousand. I think, like my parents, I think we're like five or six thousand, four or five thousand, an ear. But they aren't that much different than Bluetooth, you know, noise canceling earphones. They're not that much different. They amplify into the ear. Most of them. Some of them do other technology. So I don't want to get into the details. But a high quality pair of those is two hundred and fifty dollars, not eight thousand dollars or ten thousand dollars. And, and the this cheap is, ones are like 65. Right. And, and this is where the cost is for this socialist position. I mean, and so you can see it here, like really obvious, this is what the cost is. Because it destroys innovation whenever you do regulation. Because the point of regulation is to stop competition. And what produces innovation? Competition. And so as soon as you regulate it and say you're going to license somebody, and you want to limit the number of licenses so everybody makes more money, guess what? They stop innovating. And so it destroys the moving forward of the country, and it, it destroys the, the energy that's required to actually advance, and you become a very stagnant society. And that's where we're going as a society, and it's getting worse and worse. So regulations and, and licensure, it can seem like a side issue, but it really has a serious issue with what the future of the country will be, whether we'll be in poverty or not. And, you know, and not that the terms, you know, Marxism, et cetera, are, are wrong, but of course, you know, it's just, they're just the philosophy that's a manifestation of, you know, bad, bad theology. And it's bad theology, you know, we already referenced the Romans where they had, you know, all these licenses, you know, you go to, you know, even probably pick your favorite favorite time from history if here's where the christians were ruling and you know there may have been you know puritan new england they had a lot of regulation that we would not support and so you know it's 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 all it's a hard thing for people to to figure out you know how to have the right understanding of you know man's sin nature and the right way to constrain it and it's not hard it's that people don't want it because it's pretty easy god tells us exactly how to do it that is his law that's what he says Obey my law. That's how you solve the problem. That's how you constrain it because the law has a lot to do with constraining evil, not just saying don't sin. It says when somebody sins, here's how you constrain it to put the evil out from among you. And so it's not that it's that hard to know how to do it. It's that hard to get people to accept it because they hate the law of God. I mean, they hate the law of God, and, and they hate the law of God because of the nature of man, but also because it's right now where the church is, the church is really fostering that idea to, to hate the law of God. I mean, how many evangelical churches, you know, the good conservative churches say, thank goodness we're not under the law. You know, go grab your Bible and, you know, you can you can take your whole Old Testament and it's that thick. And I know it's skinny pages, but, you know, and if you even look at the parts of it that are just the laws for regulating life, it's a smaller portion than that. 
But there's probably more laws in your state regulating the sale of cabbages than the entirety of the Old Testament law. And we think, oh, thank goodness that we're not under God's law. <laughs> Look at what we've we're got. We're under cabbage law. <laughs> My goodness. So, you know, so what happens, and, and don't think that these aren't connected, when you stop obeying God's law, when you stop obeying the big laws that God set up and stop regulating your life according to that, government's going to step in and say, we can regulate life. And they're not very good at it. They're terribly inefficient. They have bad motivations. And so you know what you get? You get a whole lot of laws. You get a whole lot of tiny laws. I mean, you go back when we talked about the Ten Commandments, and you said that there, you know, there, were, two, t- there were two commandments that were positive. I mean, we said the numbers, but, I mean, it was it's honor your parents and it's remember the Sabbath. And let's just be real honest. Those two things, I mean, they're two things that the church has kind of surrendered. Right. And and if the church would actually take those two things and actually pick those back up, a lot of other things would fall into place. I mean, there's a part of it where God kind of says, hey, you don't want to honor my day? You don't want to, you don't want to do the, you don't want to push for the thing that I've said you actually have an obligation to go out and push for and actually require other people to do? I'm going to turn you over to all the little whims of yourself. I'm going to turn you over to all the little regulations. And I mean, there's a part of it where man, you know, man's rebelled against the commandments that God said you should do in a positive sense. And God says, okay, fine. You know, here's the result of that. And now we're sitting like the, the Jews going, we're free. We're free. And they're, they were slaves of Rome. Right. And we're going, we're free. We're free. We're not under the law. And we're the slaves of the you know, the state government and the federal government. And it's worth really pointing out, I mean, Christian liberty, liberty is only through Christ, and liberty is freedom to obey God's law. I mean, that is what true freedom is. That is what true liberty is. And there's just part of it where you have to define it correctly to understand it. And, I mean, you look at First Samuel, we read part of it, but it goes on and says he's going to take a tenth of your spoils, a tenth of what you have. We're at 43% or something like that. We should just recognize how much judgment we're under. And it's because we don't want to act like adults. We just want to turn everything over to the government. And then we complain that the government's doing everything. Let's, let's remember we're the ones that want it. Right. Because a lot of our complaining against the government in this episode was really complaining against ourselves. It was really complaining against the church. It was, I mean, it was really saying, hey, we have... We have a real duty here. We have a real responsibility. I mean, there's, there's irony in that. It sounds like what we're doing is we've set up government to regulate all of life, and, and then we honor it, which is, I mean, it's a form of worship. It's We've made government into an idol, and then turn around and, you know, four cranky guys like us, we're not very happy with the idols that we've helped set up. and Right. You know. I don't think we're alone. I think there's a lot of people in this country that are, I think almost everybody in this country isn't very happy with the idols that we've set up. Whether they're going, it's not that it's doing too much, or whether they're going, it's doing too little, nobody's happy with the idols. Right. But who out there is really saying, turn from the idols and honor God as God? We would just like different idols. We would like Republican idols instead of Democratic right. idols. But not us specifically. The royal we. (laughs) We talked about all the problems with it. So, so what are real solutions? Because they are creating your own government. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't mean solutions to the government in general. I mean solutions to the, you know, to the to the idea of all this licensure. You mean besides sovereign citizenry? Yes, besides sovereign citizenry. In exclusion of sovereign citizenry. (laughs) 
Right, not going there. <laughs> the only thing I've ever seen of those guys is they're being arrested. <laughs> <laughs> while, while, while just continually quoting their sovereign citizen citizenry litany. <laughs> but they get to make their own flags. <laughs> in prison. <laughs> <laughs> the market does have real abilities to regulate things. I mean, and there's this part of it where, I mean... You can like you like whether it's scuba, whether it's talking about the underwriters laboratory, whether I mean, the market really does have the ability to regulate some things, and there's just part of it where I mean, if you if you allow the market to do it, the market can't. The market is capable of doing that type of regulation. I mean, and some of it is just because we've gotten, we have such a tunnel vision of this has to be done by the government. That's the only way it can be done. Is why is the reason why we can't see it. We need to get back to understand what government should do and what they shouldn't do. What they shouldn't do is get involved with any decision that is not a, a universal decision. You go to war, you don't go to war. That's a universal decision. Everybody has to, as part of the nation, they have to make that decision. Who you have to do your plumbing, that's not a universal decision. And it so there's no reason division. that everybody needs to join together to say, this is how we're going to say plumbers should be. Because as soon as you do that, there's going to be people that are upset because they can't be a plumber. There's going to be plumbers that are thrilled because they're making more money, and there'll be a, people that can't get their plumbing fixed because of it. And all of a sudden, you've just created divisions in your country. The market works itself out because the reality is that plumber that doesn't know how to do plumbing, you know, yeah, there's a lot of fake reviews out there. But the word does spread, especially something local like that. Right. And some of the other things, what you do is you have to you have to charge people with fraud when they commit fraud. And you have to deal with it as this is real sin that you did, real things that you did wrong, and not just go, well, they said they could make you know, a prosthesis and they can't. Well, no, they lied and said they could make one and they charged money for it. So they stole money and they either have to make restitution or – they go to prison for fraud, and we need to start looking at the government to enforce laws rather than going, oh, that poor guy, he was trying. Well, no, he committed fraud. Yeah, and, and part of it is just not asking for more regulation. And, you know, right. if, if, we're, if we're, you know, taking responsibility for our own poor decisions and, you know, when our friends are complaining to us and saying, oh, should, shouldn't, shouldn't the government needs to stop this, they say, wait a second. You know, it's better. We we don't need the government to do this. They're gonna create more problems than they fix. You know, how about we just not? You know, we you know be careful about things and we you know research things when because often you know that's the trap that you kind of fall into is just relying on oh everything's gonna be okay. The person's. And one thing we should say to people, if the church started to say this, which is. When somebody goes, yeah, that just needs to be regulated, just go, you understand you lost X number of dollars because of this, and now you're saying it needs to be regulated. That's going to cost you far more than what you think you'll say by the regulation. It's just not true. It's just naive. You're spending so much money to do these things, and you think the government's going to be cheaper. It's not. Just going, that was stupid. I'm going to make sure nobody ever uses them again. You fulfilled your responsibility instead of saying, here, the government should do stuff. Because people do have – it's reminding people of their cognitive dissonance in a sense. Because people will go, government doesn't work. My plumber doesn't work. Let's put these two things together. You know what I mean? I mean, and they recognize that government doesn't work. They recognize that government doesn't make more things, things more efficient. But because they're just so ingrained, as soon as a problem happens, they go, I need the government to fix it. And they know fundamentally that the government's not going to fix it. They even they're, – they're aware of it. They just – 
it, it is just total cognitive dissonance. And I remember the big dig in, in Boston where, you know, they do this thing. It ends up being – they ended up spending like $50 million on it or maybe even more. I mean, it was just a huge amount of money. What was the big dig? The big dig – basically, they had a highway over to what used to be the island, and they basically went under the, the river. And so it was a new tunnel that they made. But they tore up the city for like 15 years. It made traffic horrible, and it was already horrible in Boston. And the first day they open it, people die because a cement slab falls out of the ceiling and crushes a car. Because, of course, it was all regulated. It was all inspected. It was all this stuff. And in the end, everybody was cheating on it because they were all connected to the government. It was all, you know, all kinds of fraud to the cement. They didn't use the concrete with sufficient, you know, compression strength. So it, I mean, I guess that's really tension strength, but it fell and collapsed and killed somebody and the first day. And so then they had to go in and tear it all out. Anyway, but the point is, is that is how the government regulates. When you shift that much power to the government, it's going to be regulated based on connections. It's going to be regulated based on nepotism. It's going to be right. We shouldn't expect that they can see the idea is that the government is pure and the government is holy and the government is just and right and people are terrible so the government can do things and when it does right you take the same employees that are working to to do security scans in the airports and you now put a TSA sticker on them double their salary and they will be better at security this was the theory after 9-11 literally that's the theory you take the same people double their salary put a TSA badge on them and now that they're federal employees they will be competent when they were airline employees, they weren't competent. And also give them more power. And give them more power and the right to intimidate and the right to strip search and the right to do all kinds of other things. And you think you'll increase security. It's just – that's just naive. It's the same people. Right. But that's what we want to think is that the government sanctifies and the government doesn't sanctify. And people look at the government and they go, the government doesn't sanctify. And then they turn around and they go, the government can sanctify. And we just like – you know. The, you know, the disconnect of how we think about the government and how we know the government is. We just need to be realistic. The government's not good at doing things that God didn't give it to do. I'm going to quote a verse out of context, but... Most people don't announce that ahead of I'm, time. I'm just going to say <laughs> it. But, but, you know, the Bible does say that the law is given because of transgression. And, and the application I'm making of that is... What, I mean, we've talked about this along the way, is one of the reasons that the government is motivated to regulate and license things is because, in many cases, people are uncontrolled because they don't have any self-control, and so the government steps in and says, okay, you don't have self-control, we'll control you, which we don't think actually works, but that's, their, that's part of the motivation. Mm -hmm. So when you ask the question for this segment of, well, what can you do? I mean, make it personal. Start with self-control. Start with being a better business person. Start with being a better employee. Obey know, the speed limit. <laughs> just, you know, in, in a sense, if, if... Plug for a previous episode. <laughs> right. If, if you do the sorts of things that you're supposed to be doing, if you honor God, and then if you obey his much smaller sets of commandments, then you give the government much less reason to come in and regulate. And, I mean, you can go back, you look at the, the various writings of the founders, and there's also there's variations on a theme of the idea of, hey, this constitution was written for a moral people. 
and well, we're no longer a moral people, and so you can see why we're no longer following the Constitution because it's not exactly working for people who don't have any self-control. Right. And when we think about that, I mean, along that line is the idea that that the government is growing because people want it to grow, right, which is very connected to that. It's not just that, I mean, laws are added because of transgression, because people are demanding that laws be added because of transgression, right? And so it's it's a very natural thing, and the way to solve the problem is to not transgress, and then people won't be demanding the government to get bigger. The government keeps getting bigger, partly because of lies. You know, they say all things are happening, so we have to expand and all this other stuff. But a lot of it is really they're trying to respond to problems, and they don't have a reasonable response to the problem, so they do the only thing they can, which is to pass more regulations, pass more licensure, pass more things, so that they keep making your cabbage law longer, so to speak. I mean, one of the other things is, is that actually works and could actually change things is study God's law. I mean, there's a part of it where God's law is actually in, in it's in contrast to the way we make laws in the sense that God's law was case law. God's law required you to actually understand things. It required you to actually think about things. And there's a part of it where you under, you read God's law and you it the way you're supposed to use the law is the law you use the law to justify your actions. I mean, there's a part where you defend yourself by the law. You the law tells you what you should do in a circumstance. And there's this part of it where the law aligns your thoughts with the way God thinks. And so there's this part of it where I mean think about i mean as christians this is one of the things that paul says to them in the new testament is you're going out to the you're going out to the world to have your you know you're going out to the court to the unsaved to have them adjudicate things and you because is there not anyone in among you who can actually make these kind of decisions and that's where the church is today i mean the church is very much in that position and so there's this part of it where i mean we look at the world and we go why can't you you know why don't you understand these things but the church doesn't and the church really doesn't understand them, and we don't. There's not really a premium placed on being able to use by use to take and apply God's law to take and say, "This is what this means. This is how you use this." And so, read the law. Read the law with your children. Talk about it with your children. Talk about it in your home. Talk about it in your church. How do you apply these things? What do these things mean? What is justice? What is right? And it changes the way you think. And there's a point where. You can articulate that to others. You can have. There's a point where it'll come up a conversation somewhere, and you'll be able to actually use the things you've seen from God's Word to talk about things and say, "This is what's right in that situation," and that's something that's sorely lacking in our culture. I've kind of said this a couple times already, but I want to reiterate it because there's a specific aspect of it, which is the government needs to punish people who do things wrong. And one thing that's happened in our government, which I've unfortunately had, you know, business issues that I had to deal with through the court system or through, you know, through uh, arbitration. arbitration. And, you know, you're looking at, if it doesn't go to small claims court, you're looking at at least a quarter of a million dollars to have something adjudicated. So that means you can't, the guy who steals $11,000, you can't do anything about it. And part of our justice system, what, we, what we're trying to do is fix the regulations to fix the problems with our justice system. Regulations will never fix, or licensure will never fix the problems with our justice system. We need to get back to a justice system. And, and so why is the justice system so expensive? 
licensure. Licensure of attorneys? <laughs> yeah. It's that you have to have attorneys do things. And one of the key things of licensure is what you create is you create a guild that has special language so that nobody can speak that language. This is what the guilds always did. This is what guilds continue to do. In that way, you create a special language so that you've constrained people so that that only those people can be in there so that they can charge a lot more money. This is why so much of the law is in Latin. This is why so, I mean, why some of these things are maintained. Judges come from, judges used to be lawyers. Judges don't want to upset lawyers. And so they support the continuation of this. And so we've driven a system that you can't punish an evildoer. So instead, all you can do is punish everybody. It's easier to go, you know, it doesn't cause a, cost a quarter of a million dollars to go to your legislature and try to get you know, your legislator on board with passing a new regulation because they like to pass new regulations. That's a lot cheaper, a lot easier, a lot less time consuming than most of our legal system is now. Yeah. You don't get to go somewhere and cut a, te- cut a, cut a right. ribbon with a pair of scissors and have a big grant, you know, <laughs> for the fact that the guy that owed $11,000 had to pay $44,000 back. Right. And that would do so much more to solve the problem. But we've made justice incredibly expensive, and a lot of it is through licensure. Before we finish, I mean, we could be thankful that, you know, we, we aren't judged on how righteous our government's laws are. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we do have a duty to, as voters, to vote for right people and vote for people who are going to honor, honor God. Um, but, you know, we have a lot of other duties to do other than complaining about the government. And we have rules in our families and our, in our own lives and our churches that, you know, probably should take more attention than... You know, how many bad regulations can I find? And it gives us there's a lot of things that, to do that we have plenty of plenty of stuff to fix. Um, so not not to say that we shouldn't focus on it, because after all, we spent way, well over an hour talking about it. But it is something that, you know, it's important to keep in perspective because it can be easy to kind of, you know, become all consumed by what is the government doing to oppress me when really, you know, our own sin oppresses us quite a bit. And I mean, and it comes back to the Great Commission, right? We're supposed to teach the nations to obey all things that Christ commanded. And, you know, this is one aspect of that. But like you said, there's a a closer teaching ministry. And I think I even said near the beginning of this, how many churches require their pastor to have a license? How many of them require them to go to seminary and have a seminary degree? And they look for a license to do it instead of, you know, the Bible's really explicit. Here's the law for how you choose who's qualified to be an elder. I mean, it's in two places. It's explicit. It's not like you have to go guess. I mean, it's written out for you. But yet, how many churches go, we're going to ignore that? Because then you'd have to actually get to know people. You'd have to work at it. You can't just bring somebody in. I mean, man, it's hard. Instead, what we'll do is we'll just say the seminary licensed them. They're fine. And so before we can think that we'll ever change the government, we should recognize we need to change the church. As, as a part-time podcaster, we can be thankful that we do live in a country where, to, at least to this point, the press is still free, and you don't have to have a license to podcast. So for now, yeah, thank you. So when we consider licensure, licensure is really just about – man trying to deal with the problems that Jesus Christ had to come to deal with. But he also did send his spirit to convict the world of sin. He did send his spirit to give the church power to overcome these things. And we just need to recognize this is a sign that the church isn't doing what it should do. Because we are supposed to teach the nations all the laws that Christ has commanded, all his commandments, because they're good. And when man makes up his own, they're bad. 
Thanks for joining us. This has been The Conquering Truth, a project of Reformation Baptist Church. If you found this helpful, you can visit us online at theconqueringtruth.com and subscribe here or in your favorite podcast app. Thanks for watching. Thank you.